This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Friday, November 18th. Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. Jesperson and with John Hicks, the technical producer of this show. hey we're, we're wondering today, and this is uh, this is not hyperbole. This is uh, this appears to be maybe an actual real possibility. We're wondering today, as we've just tweeted from our official account at Real Talk RJ, uh, and apologies to those of you that are sick of hearing about Twitter and Elon Musk. Maybe you're not on Twitter. Uh, and, and you're just you wish everybody would just shut up about Twitter right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we've been doing our best to I'm one of them. We're, <laughs> we're trying to sorry, I'm one of them, sorry, right? as we as, as we are now 40 <laughs> seconds into the show and we're on it. But here's the thing. We've been doing we've been doing our best to find that delicate balance of of covering a story of great significance, mm-hmm. a 44 billion dollar investment that appears to have, have gone horribly wrong, at least right now. Yeah. Elon Musk tweeting this morning or tweeting just a few hours ago, how do you make a small fortune in social media? Start with a large fortune. And so even he is acknowledging that this is maybe not going the way it is, but there have been huge cuts, layoffs, uh, firings, some of them public on the platform itself. Elon mm-hmm. firing some of the Twitter staff that have spoken or clapped back at him. And some are saying that with regards to actual the, 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 the technical operations Ooh. of the site, that it may actually go down tonight. So you're saying... There's, There's a job a opening for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. So people don't know. Like you'll you'll see people, and I'm just scrolling through my timeline this morning, and everybody's putting out their last tweets. Everybody's you know archiving their tweets. This could all just be a big thing to get everybody interested in it. And I don't suspect it's like the Monty Python. You know, I'm not dead yet. Like I don't know if Twitter goes down tonight. If that's it forever, I highly doubt it. But it's an interesting talking point, and it's one that we're reflecting today. I I, I tell you that when I get up in the morning, I think like most people, first thing, I, I love to greet my family members and let them know how much I love them. And then I check Twitter uh, to see what's going on, see what happened overnight. We know that Real Talkers, you expect this show to reflect the, the news headlines and to reflect what people are talking about around the world. And so I'm on Twitter this morning and everybody is just treating this as though it's like, you know, sort of some sort of like medically assisted death. Like we know what <laughs> yeah. the time is and we're getting, we're all getting set to say goodbye. And it's funny because Elon keeps tweeting, you know, you know, uh, the uh, I- index, the people getting on Twitter is up, you know, this much percent. The usage is up this much. But I saw a great tweet today that said, I think Elon doesn't know we're laughing at him, not with him. But we're he- just watching. We're waiting for the implode every day yeah. we get on Twitter. That's why usership is up that's why maybe he doesn't action care, is though. up yeah. maybe he doesn't care i'm like if, if i could become a billionaire just by everybody laughing at me i'd be totally yeah. cool with that that would be totally fine but it's like you said that's why everyone's on that's why everyone logs in every day is it still here is, is it, it still oh. just checking just checking uh, I, I pulled this tweet this one just i mean we could have pulled millions today but this one i thought was interesting marley matlin uh from her account you can follow her at marley Mat- i mean why are you following anybody now we're all going to be gone uh <laughs> she says During my 12 years on Twitter, I have advocated for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility on behalf of millions of us who are deaf, hard of hearing, or disabled. This platform has virtually leveled the playing field for all of us, but particularly for people like myself, this space has evolved into a barrier-free game changer. Yet, with news of the dismantling of Twitter's accessibility team, and that's a big one, I'd like to ask Elon Musk, 
as someone who has self-identified as having autism spectrum disorder, why would you do this? Is it time to take a stand on principle and pause our accounts until this is rectified? Says Marley Matlin with her blue check mark. P.S. This is the real me. So that's one. That's one person's experience on Twitter. And I bet you, just as an experiment, if we if we just scrolled through my timeline or yours or anybody else's, you would probably find. I mean, look at this. The very first one, as I call up, this is a great friend of the show, Chris Labossier. Um, Chris is, is, you know, I mean, obviously an investor. He's, he's a philanthropist. He's a, a prominent uh, Edmontonian in our home city. He says, if you think Twitter's going down, you don't understand the efficiency and swiftness of the capital markets and the value of a global brand. That's what I'm saying. I don't, th- I, I don't th- I think it's impossible that this yeah, thing just goes down and dies. Either. Are you kidding me? He says, unless Elon Musk is fooling a real-life Francisco D'Anconia, he will be replaced and a white knight or heroine will be invented by bankers. Will that be Jack Dorsey coming back to revive Twitter? Who knows? Hey, guys. We can just scroll through. I mean, look at this. The next one, Andrew Coyne. He's been on the show. You know Andrew. One of Canada's foremost political commentators. Man, he says, this place feels like the ship of the damned right now. People making up their wills, saying their last goodbyes to friends, wondering how they'll be remembered or if there's life on the other side. Oh, jeez. There's Elon, of course, 11 hours ago. And we just hit another all-time high in Twitter usage, LOL. (laughs) There's not a lot of CEOs, or he's not the CEO of Twitter, but there's not a lot of, like, investors like angel investors or the notorious billionaires that are loling and live tweeting the demise of one of their big investments that's mm-hmm. just wild it's like the, the 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 meme of the the dog in the house on fire this yeah. is fine this is this fine, is fine. <laughs> ashley stewart investigative journalist she's a great follow on twitter uh out of toronto she says but seriously if if the ship sinks i will miss you all so many connections made time wasted on this stupid hell site she says let's go connect on instagram to keep the shit takes alive <laughs> and then she gives her handle where you can find her on Instagram. So, you know, I mean, this this goes on and on and on. And everybody's sort of lamenting what might happen here. How important to you, if at all, would Twitter be? If, if Twitter were to were to evaporate into thin air, if it were to happen today, would you feel any sort of a void whatsoever in your life, do you think? I mean, sure, I would, because I, you know, I don't want to say it's a trusted news source, but it is for a lot of us, especially in media. Like we get on there, we hit the trends, we see what people are talking about. So I'd miss that. But it's an efficient platform. Do I think the world would immediately become a better place? Oh. Yes, I do. And, you know, I like Instagram better i like looking at videos so and puppies though. and it's so different nature and things that make me happy yeah it's, i mean instagram's <laughs> unbelievable it's got its own fabulous yeah. elements to it and there's a reason why it's so successful tiktok has its own thing well because people are unlikely to post n- photos of negative things or things that bring you down it's, they're more likely to post things that are going to be positive or make you laugh or make huh. you smile so yeah that's why i love if i had to go in order it would be instagram I don't want to say Facebook because it probably dates me because like I feel like the older demographic is is much higher on Facebook yeah. and then Twitter. Yeah. But Twitter definitely for if you need what's going on in the world right away, that's the place. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's nothing that does it quite like Twitter. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about this. I mean, the, the, it's it's not really an irony, or is it an irony, or or, or is it just a case study that uh, it's been fascinating to watch Twitter's struggle on Twitter. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it's just I don't know how you do it. I don't know. It's like uh, I don't know. How, I don't. I can't even think of a metaphor uh. of what that's like or what that is. I mean, it's like what is it like? It's like back in the day, like a six o'clock news anchor reading a story about their own problems or their own issues. Is that the equivalent? Is I don't that really irony? Know. Is that the definition? Is that irony? Is Ask I, I Alanis. Well, I don't know. I'm always confused. Tomorrow is International <laughs> Men's Day, and uh, today, coming up in a, in about 20 minutes' time. We're presenting a men's health real talk roundtable, and our lineup for this roundtable is remarkable, uh, led by he who was bestowed with the honor of the Order of Canada just yesterday, Canadian screen and songwriting legend, activist Tom Jackson is going to be quarterbacking the live studio audience, absolutely loves this announcement. <laughs> Tom Jackson's going to be sitting on our Real Talk roundtable today alongside Dr. Robbie Babbins-Wagner. She's the CEO of uh, the Calgary Counseling Center. She's a, a therapist, a nonprofit leader, uh, and also happens to be an adjunct professor at the University of Calgary as well. And then Mike Cameron is going to is going to sit on that roundtable as well. You know Mike. He's been on the show before, author of Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. Mike's a certified executive coach, and he's the uh, host of Love Letter to Men. It's a men's mental health conference. Mike's story is a is a remarkable one, a compelling one. He shared it with us before. His uh, girlfriend was brutally murdered uh, by an ex-partner, and Mike's life obviously changed uh, in a dramatic fashion, and he committed his life to talking about men's health and men's mental health in particular. So that's going to be the focus of our Real Talk Roundtable coming up in just a little bit. Typically, Sapria Devetti joins us on the show on Fridays, but uh, Sapria is in, she's got a lot going on right now, and so we thought that we'd do it a little bit different. And so in just a second, you know Sapria and I co-host a national podcast called Seriously, and it's out every Friday. It's presented by our great friends at We Know Training. Uh, you can find it anywhere you get your podcast. You can find it on YouTube as well. And Sapria and I talked about respiratory illnesses. Uh, we talked about influenza A. We talked about the strain on children's hospitals, and we're going to get to that conversation today. If you missed this week's episode of Seriously, we wanted to showcase it right here on these airwaves so to speak right here on this show on real talk and and hope that more of you especially in particular in western canada have an opportunity to to discover that half hour weekly tradition that we're so proud to present before we get to that i wanted to remind you what's going on at mcbain camera right now they've got their black friday sale you can check out all the details at mcbaincamera.com you don't have to wait till black friday to either treat yourself or pick up that perfect gift for someone you love and that includes the option of snapping, printing, and sharing fun photos instantly with Fujifilm's Instax Mini 11 camera. We love this one. That one-touch selfie button, the automatic exposure, makes sure that you're taking perfect selfies every time. Now, the Mini 11 is just $99.99 right now at McBain, and that... Of course, gives you the chance to snag two packs of Instax mini film on sale for just $18.99 as well. You're all in for under $120. 24-hour delivery available within Edmonton as well as in-store pickup at all six locations. You can check out McBainCamera.com today to see a full list of Fujifilm Black Friday details. McBain, create to inspire. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, of course, yesterday was a big celebration. Charlie, their sourdough starter, turned seven years old, and they were throwing the big birthday bash at all 16 of their locations. They're going to be open this weekend, as if you didn't know that, serving up hot and fresh quality food for your family dinner table. 
And they got a lot of things going on as well, including their healthy insight events, evenings of wine, charcuterie, and advice on how to achieve the best possible you. You can sign up for those events and, and check out their recipes under the What's for Dinner link by visiting their website, Friesen.com. You know, my wife went to Friesen. I think it was yesterday. And she was like, why are they closed? And I'm like, they're celebrating. <laughs> but <laughs> they're she's like, well, great- this is inconvenient. But I'm yeah. like, let them have their day. <laughs> oh, they're having a fantastic time. Friesen Brothers, wide open for you all the way through this weekend. And circle your calendar for the first of the month. And, of course, it's 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more. Apex Automation is putting out the call to Canada's professional engineers. If you're looking to ramp up your career and join a team that cares about the atmosphere, the environment, they care about giving people back their time, corporate culture at Apex Automation is a core value. They've been expanding locations to be closer to clients, to provide quick turnaround service. That means that you'll find them centered out of Vancouver, Saskatoon, Lloyd, Calgary, Edmonton. They're going to be in Tampa and Houston by next year. Opportunity abounds. You can check out the careers link and learn more about what they're doing in engineering, fabrication, and automation at apexautomation.ca. Well, uh, we've been talking, of course, about, and, and, and this is something that I guarantee, I virtually guarantee that you or someone you love has this right at front of mind, and that is the illnesses that are impacting children across the country right now. We see the numbers down, way down when it comes to classroom attendance, and it's not necessarily due to COVID. It's due to respiratory infections. It's due to influenza A. These are all illnesses that could be slowed, the spread of them, by the wearing of masks. We've talked about it on this show. Yet, no Canadian premier to this point has stepped up and talked about reintroducing mask mandates. Alberta's premier, Danielle Smith, released a statement by way of her social media accounts, Twitter in particular, just the other day. And here's what she had to say about her approach to it. Let me say a word about about masks. Anyone who feels comfortable to wear a mask should wear a mask. That should be a personal choice. And anyone who wants to make that choice, I support them. I, I think the most important thing that we're seeing right now is that we have a number of viruses that are circulating at once. We've got RSV, we've got COVID, and we've got influenza. And we also have some serious issues that we have to deal with that, quite frankly, I think are the ones that parents want me to focus on. I'm very concerned about the shortage of children's Tylenol. That's really important because if parents don't have the drugs that they need to be able to treat fever at home, then they're going to hospital waiting rooms. And the hospital waits are unacceptably long, which is part of the reason why later this week, we will be announcing some significant reforms to Alberta Health Services. So that was Alberta Premier Danielle Smith uh, answering questions from reporters regarding her approach to managing this surge in cases and the subsequent strain on hospitals, certainly not limited to Alberta. Ontario is being hammered by this. And so uh, just a couple of days ago, Sapria and I took this on, on seriously. And here's what she had to say. The lead. The principal tool at, at, at hand, if we had to go there, would be a mask mandate. Um, clearly, uh, 
for, for social gatherings, I'm asking today that we be very careful around our children four and under. A cold or a minor respiratory symptom, a sinus infection to you uh, could be RSV or influenza to our, our younger members of our community and cause significant respiratory distress in them. Uh, so, so that's the key message. Uh, it's hard to mandate those social environments. That's my job today is to educate Ontarians that this is a change. This isn't COVID that's affecting our children, although it obviously can. It's RSV and influenza combined that are driving our children to have to be admitted to hospitals. Uh, and we do have the tools at our disposal that can help protect our children and help protect our families. So Ryan, that was uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, um, the Chief Medical Officer of Health here for Ontario, uh, making his announcement on masks, which was a strong recommendation to wear masks um, during this current pediatric healthcare crisis. And I mean, I don't even know where to start here because like, I, like I started the show detailing my pretty shitty, no good week. Um, mm. And I think I mentioned to you off air, but I feel kind of dumb even complaining about anything, given what other parents and other families are, are going through right now, um, dealing with the hospital system, at least in Ontario right now uh, for kids is a fucking nightmare. Mm. And there's no other way to put that. It is a legit nightmare. You've got sick kids um, reducing surgeries in Toronto to preserve ICU capacity. You've got CHEO um, opening up that second ICU. You've got, um, you know, all sorts of other uh, children's hospitals operating over capacity. We're talking 120, 140%. Um, in Hamilton, they've run out of cribs um, and like other key uh, instruments that they need to treat like the youngest uh, of our kids. And it's just... It's it, I, I like I'm not really sure how we got here. I don't think it really necessarily, um, you know, matters. What's important is that we are here and that we do something about it. And I don't know that we are other than just being like, oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Right. So so Sapria, she's talking about this now. Full disclosure, uh, she talked about the week that she's had and she's been into one. Uh, she's got a young daughter who's been really sick. The, the household has been sick, and she knows. When we were talking in the full episode, which you can download anywhere you get your podcasts, obviously you can find it on YouTube too. She says, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. She says, I know that there's a lot of people that are worse off than me. Uh, there's families that are right now in hospitals. There's families that the kids need access to ICUs. There's families whose young children have had surgeries canceled because children's hospitals are absolutely maxed. Right. And we look around us and the so-called decision make, not the so-called, they are the decision makers aren't stepping up and making those decisions. And so the question was, why? And so we started to take a look at this. Now, that was Dr. Kieran Moore, who you heard from. That was Ontario's chief medical officer of health. And and and, and we continued that conversation and, and Supreme made a couple of important points. I know she was going to reiterate this morning. We wanted to make sure that message got out right here on Real Talk. It is important to point out that right now, um, kids that are filling up hospitals, uh, you know, it's not because of COVID. It is because of influenza A and it is because of RSV largely. And so uh, I think more information is always better. Just I generally tend to err on that side of, of things. But if you're if you're looking at polling data when it comes to like the willingness to put a mask on or, you know, especially in a mandatory setting. I mean, Nanos was in the field a couple of weeks ago. And it is important to note that it was in relation to COVID. It wasn't in relation to flu or, or RSV. 
and a majority support a return of mandatory face masks if they were asked to and if it was warranted, like if it was necessary. Um, and it's across the board in B.C., they had the highest support at like 72 percent. Um, it was followed by 71 percent in Ontario, 71 percent at the Atlantic. Uh, and 62.9% in the prairies, right? So we're not talking um, this huge swath of people being like, fuck masks, so I don't want to wear them. I think most people uh, are good people and will do as they are requested um, or told to do by by their you know governments, public health agencies, whatever. I think part of the problem is that people aren't being given um, adequate or accurate information. Um, and... You know, it's all well and good for you and I to be talking about this and for Dr. Moore to have his pressers and for whatever. But if you're not implementing a mandate, you're sending a signal to the public at large that it's not really that big of a problem and it's not really that big of a deal. And, you know, I I don't know. It's like I get the frustration with masks. I do. I don't necessarily even like I'm not I I don't have like modeling data to fall back on because we don't do that anymore in Ontario um, to, to suggest that if we were to implement a blunt tool like masks, then, you know, in three, four weeks, whatever that time may be, we'd start to see a decrease in, in some of these uh, pediatric cases. But are we really willing to do nothing as, you know, parents are like parents with 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 kids that have like bleeding lacerations are literally being turned away from the ER because they're like, well, there's nothing we can do for you. And like we have a kid that is, uh, you know, needs resuscitation or needs a ventilator or is in much more dire care. Like I just you know, I threw I kind of threw up my back because my daughter was she was on my bed and it started snowing here and she ran to, to the window and lost her footing. And I sort of like dove to make sure that she wouldn't fall off the bed because in my head, I was like, well, if she falls off the bed and needs to go to the ER, we're really fucked. Mm. Um, so I might as well just contort my body together. And like, I know any parent would do that, but it's just like these are the things that are going through people's heads, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just not normal. Here's more on what Dr. Moore had to say. I honestly think a, ma- a mass mandate would be the furthest we'd have to go. Uh, Ontarians have been brilliant at, to adhering uh, to uh, all of the recommendations over the last thousand days uh, of the pandemic. Uh, this is new and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, directly to Ontarians uh, through you uh, to communicate that increasing risk, that increasing um, uh, pressure on our healthcare system uh, and it's important to know it's it's not across all age groups it is the youngest that cannot mask or would obviously have difficulty in masking and we need to protect them so you heard dr moore there basically he was in response to a question um of like you know when they'd implement a mask mandate and he says like it's you know it's the furthest that they would go is implementing one okay well like when the fuck are we going to do that we're already canceling surgeries we're already at overcapacity we're turning away kids um at at the ER, parents are at their wits end. Like, I, I think we deserve to know some metrics. Like, what are the benchmarks in which these decisions are being made? Um, because we're not getting any of that right now. How much? And- how much of this falls on parents, though? How much of this falls on members of the general public? Like, one of the, the the tone that Alberta's premier Daniel Smith is taking as well. I mean, to to, to paraphrase is basically like, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you think that we should be wearing masks, then everyone should wear masks. 
She made a, a promise in campaigning to be leader of the United Conservatives, to, to be Alberta's next premier, yeah. um, that she would not. Like she, she and, and politicians can, can waffle all the time and waver all the time. But she said she would not reintroduce a mask mandate in schools, no matter what. She, she was strong on that. And, and right now, despite the numbers and you know, children's hospitals and absences in schools, she's, she's standing firm with that. But what stops members of the public from putting on a mask. I'm not trying to be devil's advocate here. Like if they just lifted speed limits everywhere, do you think everyone would go 150 on every street or would people still drive safely? Like I, I, I'm not calling for lawlessness. I'm not calling for the onus to always be on citizens, but there's nothing stopping people from masking up on mass. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, there is nothing stopping people. But if you don't think your mask wearing is imperative, why would you do it? If you don't think mask wearing is imperative, then why would you do it? And that's the question that I wanted to put in front of you, Real Talkers. That's something that this is the real talk about this. It's obvious the impact that a public health measure has. It's obvious the impact that a chief medical officer of health or a premier uh, or a mayor, for that matter, if we're talking about municipalities. But this largely falls on provinces, right? Education and healthcare. that's how it works. It's obvious that a mandate goes a lot further than a suggestion. But if people are so convinced that a mask would be helpful, that a mask would assist in stopping the spread of these illnesses, in relieving the pressure on the hospitals, then why aren't more people wearing masks, mandate or not? This is something that I'm wrestling with personally. It's a question that I have unanswered, and I'm curious to know where you'll land on this as well. Donna says, Ryan, if, if half the parents mask their kids, it wouldn't be enough, right? Kathy says, at this point, we don't have competent provincial leadership. We're all just going to have to do what's best for us and, and protect our own. What about this from Ashley? This is Here's what we would call anecdotal evidence. She says, I helped out at my son's preschool yesterday. Over half the class was missing due to illness. Colette says, that might work in a different culture. Ours is all about me, me me dr bradley martin always great to have him watching and we sure appreciate seeing his name in the live chat he says the frontline healthcare crisis in alberta is absolutely crazy he says it needed to be addressed a year ago he goes on to say sapria is dead on with what she had to say we thought so too doc and that's why we wanted to bring that to you. She'll, of course, be back a couple of weeks from now. Real Talk is taking next week off. Woo. We're hitting the town. You know, we're going to be heading out to the mountains. Some of us, some of us are going to be Lucky taking you. care of business that needs to be done. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we're going we're to be, you know, recharging our batteries so we can hit the ground running again, heading into December. And then we'll be back on that following Monday uh, with a great show in store. It's already booked and we're looking forward to it. If you're looking for details, we always encourage you to sign up for our Real Talk Sunday message. It's a, an email that we send out every single week. It's obviously free uh, and it keeps you in the loop. Highlights you may have missed on the show. Sometimes there's special promotions, things we want you to know about, announcements we have about our team. And then, of course, uh, sometimes a sneak peek, uh, sometimes three, four, five of them into what's coming in weeks to come. You go to Ryan Jesper com as you can see here on our home screen i'm showing it to the folks watching on youtube you just scroll down this is where you can watch and listen live on youtube and mixler a note from me and then here you go to sign up for our official newsletter that's the real talk sunday message 
We've got Trash Talk coming up in about a half hour's time, and we've got our Real Talk Roundtable that's also going to be coming up in a few minutes. But before we get to that, uh, Johnny, I wanted to pick your brain on a development yesterday. I heard them. I know, because it's the big debate as I'm driving into work today. <laughs> Everyone, are we talking about the Christmas tree? Well, well yeah, <laughs> yes. We're going to talk about the Christmas tree here in Edmonton. There's a big scandal. There's a big, huge... Sc- okay, gonna, let I'm, me... I'm going to make it worse. Let me swing again. Is this about the holiday It is about you as movies. our... Movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I it's saw It's about this. you, and we could, we could do... We could cover these in... We could cover these in either order. But yes, this is this was about your official review. You, you were... You, Someone has disagreed. You were announced as yeah. our official Real Talk holiday movie reviewer yesterday. <laughs> and, 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 so, so this year, I'm uh, getting into the holidays early. I'm wearing Christmas socks today. And it's it's not about religion or anything. You know, like my wife's Indian. She goes to temple. But we also go to midnight mass on Christmas. We just like to be in community and see what everyone does and be a part of the whole festive thing. But she always wants to start the holidays on like November 12th, like right after uh, Remembrance Day. And I always push it. I'm like, December 1st, we'll put up the tree. This year, I've given her all out to just start the holidays now. We've got two trees up in the house. We're playing the Christmas music. And most especially, we are watching every horrible Hallmark holiday movie that's ever been created <laughs> you don't since have to say 1984. Horrible. You don't have to say horrible. I didn't know they started making them in the 80s. but um, And I, I used to hear Hallmark movie, and I used to think, does Hallmark like produce these things no it's just a term for those movies where you know jennifer moves back to her hometown to save the local grocery yes. store that's going under because of big business and yeah. and the big shops and she meets up with her high school sweetheart and his wife has passed away and she's he's got a kid that he's raising on his own and what could happen well we all know what she falls happen. in love <laughs> She falls in love with the guy that owns the Christmas tree lot. Oh, gosh. Right? And, you know, he doesn't have a lot of money, but he's funny, and I can write a song about it. So yesterday, you you provide your first review, and you gave us your first recommendation, which I was did. the new Lindsay Lohan film, Falling for Christmas. Yes, the film is called Falling for Christmas, and uh, I I thought it was pretty good. I um. I enjoyed it. I thought Lindsay Lohan, who I thought was going to bomb as the character, did pretty well. It's it's a story about, and I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, but yeah, don't give it away. Yeah. Basically, she gets in an accident. She has amnesia, forgets who she is. The rest I'll leave up to you. But she played it pretty well because I'm like, oh my gosh, Lindsay Lohan is going to play having amnesia? Like, this is going to be horrible. I gave it like a 7 out of 10. I thought it was a surprisingly good, low-budget you know, you don't know any of the actors in there other than her. Like, yeah. I thought everyone did a great job. And then I see this tweet. Yeah, this from Jonathan Dean, who's a journalist with the Sunday Times. Do you want to read it or shall I? You go ahead. He says, I watched the new... And, and this was after your review where this... this I, I always say to it's people, like, like I, an literally, hour later. <laughs> I literally laughed out loud when I read this right here in the studio. You sent it to me immediately. I sent it to you immediately. Because she, you, you, I thought graciously, and, and I'm sure accurately, I haven't seen the film yet, um, you specifically commented and complimented her on her acting. Mm-hmm. You said the acting was good. So Jonathan Dean with the Sunday Times says, quote... I watched the new Lindsay Lohan Falling for Christmas. It's appalling. He says, nobody in the film wants to be in the film. 
They're t- it's terribly directed. They have no idea how to tell a story. It's a shit story anyway. <laughs> Baffling prop decisions. The acting is subhuman. And then he says, I highly recommend it. I haven't laughed like that for years. Oh, my. So either way, I mean, he gave it a five out of five. So either way, I think you've hit a bullseye on your first recommendation. Either way, whether you love or hate this movie, you're going to enjoy it. And there you're, it is right there. You're going to Falling for it. Christmas now on Netflix. <laughs> I don't know why we're plugging Netflix. <laughs> we're, not, we're, yeah, we're not plugging Netflix. <laughs> we're not plugging Netflix. I think we just spent like two minutes talking about how, how allegedly horrible this is. Uh, how's our roundtable looking, pal? Are we ready to rock and we roll? We are almost ready here. About almost ready to minutes. go. Okay, well, g- give me two minutes here. Why don't You know what? Why don't we tee up this story out of Edmonton? This will uh, buy us some time to get the roundtable together. As mentioned, Tom Jackson, officer of the Order of Canada, legendary screen actor, singer-songwriter, writer and activist is joining our roundtable today alongside Dr. Robbie Babbins-Wagner, uh, CEO of the Calgary Counseling Center and author and uh, corporate or executive leadership coach, Mike Cameron. He's uh, the author of a very powerful book, Becoming a Better Man, When Something's Got to Change, Maybe It's You. This is our Men's Health Roundtable ahead of International Men's Day, which is tomorrow. Here's the controversial story out of Edmonton. And if you're not in Edmonton, maybe you won't even care about this, but this is something that everybody cares about. It, 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 did you hear? In Edmonton's famed church, Hill Square. That's what it's still called for now. There's another can of worms if you want to open it. But it, this, the square, the town square, the gathering space just outside Edmonton City Hall. It's like the arts area. There's there's the square and it's surrounded by the Citadel Theater. There's live production there. The Art Gallery of Alberta. City Hall. You have the new or the reinvented Stanley Milner Library. It's a gathering place. And it's typically had John. How tall is that Christmas tree? I'm always exaggerating without. I don't. To, I don't want to say it's huge. Though. Is it like? And that's is one it of like the things. Is we it do like every thirty season. feet? Something like that. It's like twenty. Got to be bigger. It's like a, yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's like a huge. I always try to think of a ten meter diving board. Like that's about. That's, mm. I think that's about how tall it is. So it's like a ten. Anyway, it's been a huge tree, and it's been there every single uh, Christmas, every single holiday season. And this year, it's not going to be there. And everybody's trying to figure out what the hell is going on because it's like the war on Christmas, right? Um, I'm just pouring gas on the fire and all of the people with 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 reputations and legitimate perspectives on this that are trying to calm the waters and get everybody to chill out and just listen to the facts are being swayed by people like me that are fanning the flames on the story. Now, we're just having a little fun with it. The city's made in, in partnership with or at least alongside the Downtown Business Association a decision to to light up. A nearby area, it's kind of sort of a pedestrian shopping area. There's some bars and restaurants, a couple of great shops in there. It's called Rice Howard Way. It's like a couple of blocks away, and they're going to light up Rice Howard Way, and it's probably going to look magical, and it's probably going to be great. And, and all the nerdy stuff in the boardrooms that people talk about, like ROI, like return on investment, there's probably better investment maybe for businesses that have struggled through COVID to light up Rice Howard Way as opposed to lighting up the Christmas tree. But there's not going to be a Christmas tree in Churchill Square. And so people are flipping their lids. And everybody's pissed off. Not everybody. But some folks are pissed off at Edmonton's mayor. And he's saying, well, it's not my decision. He's saying, I had nothing to do with it. And so he could get in front of the cameras and say it like that. But that's not very holiday-like. And that wouldn't play very well. And if you get clipped five seconds out of there and you look angry and you're banging the podium and it has to do with the holidays, well, then you're really screwed as a politician, right? So what did Edmonton's Mayor Amarjeet Sohi and his team cook up? Well, this little Christmas rhyme. There won't be a tree in the Churchill Square. 
But that doesn't mean the mayor and council doesn't care. I've heard some people call me a Grinch, but accurate info can be found in a pinch. The DBA is lighting up downtown on Rice Howard Way this time around. This is the project that they are taking the lead. This Christmas, they will have just what you need. Everyone's holiday traditions are great. No matter what they are, I love to celebrate. For years and years, we all loved the big tree. But there's so much more that Christmas can be. We will still have events and fun in the square. And I certainly hope to see you all there. As far as the tree, there are sure to be more lining the streets and the front of the stores. But regardless of what you heard in the news, it was just for the comments and the clicks and the views. <laughs> it is so important for all of us to be kind. So happy holidays, early Christmas to yours from mine. There you go. So that's Edmonton's mayor. What I particularly enjoyed about that was his shot across the bow, specifically, uh, well, this is my opinion, not his. This is not from the mayor's office. This is me just putting two and two together. A shot directly at CTV News, which did a big story, a sensational story about the tree not going to be in here. And for the mayor in his Christmas rhyme to say that was just for the comments and the clicks and the views i thought oh boy oh boy and here we go you can let us know what you think about that to talk at ryanjesperson.com our real talk roundtable coming up in just a moment these conversations happen on real talk because of amazing partners like the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park uh, of course they've got a lot going on through the winter months they've got the specialty blizzard they've got those what i always am encouraging people to check out those treats of pizzas you got all kinds of like peppermint and kind of Christmassy options, but nothing quite does it like a DQ cake, right? You can order your custom DQ cake no matter what you're celebrating through November, December, into January. Everybody loves a Dairy Queen cake custom ordered from the DQs in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. You simply go to DQcakes.com. You use the drop-down menu to find one of those five locations. It's never been easier to make sure that everybody loves the treats that you're bringing from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that their teams are hard at work through the winter months. No, not doing snow removal. Mike says he's done with that. But they're working on the design process. They're pulling permits. They're ordering the perfect construction materials to ensure that your outdoor space is brought to life in a way that does it justice, that it looks the best it can. Sometimes that takes time and consideration. You want to make sure you don't rush your project. You want to make sure it's perfect. So why not get the ball rolling today by contacting Mike and his team at landscapeedmonton.ca. At Kubi Energy, same deal. Through the winter, they're working hard. Of course, they do all the paperwork, which is what a lot of their clients, a lot of their partners love about working with their team. For example, you want to sign up for that Canada Greener Homes grant, you could use that $40,000 interest-free loan, pay it back interest-free over 10 years. I mean, your solar install might be 12 grand, 17 grand. Who knows? It's probably not going to be 40 
But whatever it is, Kubi's going to make sure that you get that grant and that you're not having to worry about pushing a pencil through pages and pages of that document. Then they get their design team working on it. So when the snow melts this spring, your solar panels are installed ASAP. Across Alberta and BC, Kubi Renewable Energy is providing solar energy solutions to power your life. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. And every Friday here on the show, our Real Talk Roundtable is presented by our great friends at Urban Timber. You know by now their design team, they're the ones that designed this table that I sit around every single day. I love it. It's white oak, absolutely stunning, with working gears that can raise and lower the table. It's an it's a piece of art, and every single person that walks into this studio, it blows their mind. Well, we know that Urban Timber makes incredible tables, but did you know that they also make butcher block countertops using materials from old boxcars? Yeah, that's right. They reclaim the floor planks out of decommissioned rail cars, and they turn them into gorgeous maple and oak butcher block counters. They actually just finished up a project for the brand new ribeye butcher shop in St. Albert. If you want to go see that stunning work in person and maybe go pick up some local meat, you can head out to Aaron Ridge and take a look for yourself for our local audience members. You can custom made to your specs urban timber countertops. They are truly one of a kind. You can learn more by visiting their website, urbantimber.ca. They've got an open house this weekend if you want to go see them in person. How cool would that be? You know, you're building your dream home, John. You're doing a big kitchen reno. Mm-hmm. You get those well, reclaimed I wouldn't be building it. boxcar. Yeah, <laughs> hand it over to Urban Timber. Let them do it. I love stuff that tells a story. Yeah. I love home installations and, and feature pieces that tell stories, and that's what Urban Timber does best. As mentioned, they proudly present our Real Talk Roundtable every Friday. We're a day ahead of International Men's Day. That's coming up on Saturday. And this Real Talk Roundtable will focus on men's health. We've put together a panel that we believe is going to be heard across Canada with important messages from three different perspectives, including one of the newest recipients, one of the newest officers of the Order of Canada, Canadian screen legend Tom Jackson, whose credits include North of 60, Shining Time Station, Star Trek The Next Generation, Law and Order, Outlander, Cardinal. He's had an equally balanced career lengthwise in acting and music. Just a few years ago, in 2018, he released The Essential Tom Jackson, a two-disc, 21-track retrospective, and he penned a new song in 2021, just last year, called Lost Souls, after the remains of 215 children were discovered on the grounds of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. Dr. Robbie Babbins-Wagner is the CEO of the Calgary Counseling Center and an adjunct professor and sessional instructor in the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Calgary. She's got more than three decades experience as a nonprofit leader, a therapist, and a trainer. And Mike Cameron is the author of Becoming a Better Man, When Something's Gotta Change, Maybe It's You. Mike is a sought-after speaker in leadership and men's mental and emotional fitness. We're going to talk about that. He's a certified executive coach and the co-creator and host of Love Letter to Men. It's a men's mental health conference. Uh, To the three of you, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Tom, I I would imagine for you, uh, this has got to be a special day. The day after, the morning after you receive the Order of Canada, reflecting your remarkable career. Can you... Take us into what yesterday was like. It was amazing. 
validating. To say the least, it was humbling. I mean, you, you can imagine. Um, but it was very validating uh, for myself and my wife, Allison. And I couldn't help but thinking of all the team members that are part of my life um, that exist across this country and to some degree in other countries. But the, the kind of uh, thing that we're privileged to do, and anybody on my team, if I ask them, what do we do? They go, we saved lives. And it balances everything for me. It, um, it gives me oxygen. It makes me realize that love is a verb. Christmas is a verb. Hmm. Putting up a tree is a verb. <laughs> should be very, really, really important to remember that we shouldn't just be celebrating Christmas. We should be Christmas. We should be Christmas because Christmas is a verb as love is a verb. Take us I don't into know if that answered your question, but oh <laughs> no! Well, well listen, uh, of course it does, Tom, and 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 I want to let the three of you know that that our uh, the tradition of this real talk roundtable. We say to people, treat it like we're all out for coffees or beers. So feel free to interrupt one another. Feel free to take the conversation wherever you like. Uh, but before I move on to our other two panelists, let me ask you: What do you mean when you when you say we save lives uh, through the course of your career? I mean, you've been a film star. You're you're a musician that draws thousands of people. You've got all these albums that people celebrate. What do you mean you? save lives well when you work for social service agencies like the edmonton food bank as an example or the calgary food bank or the dope team in calgary uh, all these organizations that i'm uh, embraced because it becomes my oxygen to be part of their world or for them to be part of mine but more importantly to understand that what they do what we help them do is save lives so all it may be arm's length, uh, but by what we do, by supporting them, uh, who they are and what they do is to save lives. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Babbins Wagner, I saw when, when, when Tom was talking about that, I could, I could see you just nodding your head like this. I want to let everybody listening to the podcast know. What was it that was specifically resonating with you? I think the saving lives piece is really critical. I know that we see it every single week at Calgary Counseling Center. We do two things a year that really um, are focused on engaging the community as a whole. One of them is uh, Depression Screening Week, which is always the week before Thanksgiving. And it never fails that at some point we get a call, either from, the, either from an individual or from a family member, to say, thanks for offering this. We offer it free to the community because it saved my son's life, it saved my daughter's life, it saved my partner's life. And it's really important to find one of the, some of the work we've been doing for the last two decades has really been focusing on new ways of engaging people into support services, into counseling services in a very preventive way. So we do save lives um, and it makes a difference. So we say, Tommy, I agree with you that we save lives every day, but our mantra is we change lives. Mm. So we help change lives every single day. Uh, Robbie, what are you seeing with, I mean, you've been at this a long time, as mentioned, more than 30 years in your field. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing with male clients nowadays? Like, what does the research show? Yeah, well, about 40% of our clients are men, and that's almost unheard of in the social service field and the counseling field, because men are very reluctant to begin care. Men are reluctant to um, seek medical 
medical support and see their doctor when they're not feeling well. And I think what we're seeing in part is a bit of a cultural change. At least I hope we're seeing some of that, that men are becoming more willing to enter the conversation, to um, respond differently to their partner, to seek their feedback, to be better parents to their kids. And that doesn't come easy. And I think some of those differences are we've been socialized. You know, um, most of us have been socialized differently than that. Men are supposed to have these very broad shoulders and take on everything and just provide us with the answers. And men are looking for solutions. Women are look more typically are looking to talk about their problems, to engage with friends, to get support before they enter some kind of counseling or care. So um, what we've been doing and there was a, this was some research that we did. When I started at Calgary Counseling Center almost 30 years ago, one of the things I was asked to figure out is, and we had a large family violence program at the time uh, that was real, only focused on men. Now we focus on all genders, both victims and offenders. And the, what I was asked to do was look at why men come, men come to the first, the se first session and don't show up for the program. And one of the things we learned, I'm going to really make this brief, is that um, they didn't feel respected as part of that interview, and they didn't feel heard. Hmm. And we, and I don't mean just us, everybody in the field was doing this in those days, were kind of throwing the violence in their face and shaming people. And what we've learned is we have to take a very different approach with men being respectful, being slow, being cautious, asking permission if they're ready to talk about these issues. Because if you don't do that, and if you don't engage men where they're at, we're going to lose many of them. Mike, I bet you have something to say about that. Maybe. Oh, I, I love, Robbie, what you talk about, about finding different ways to engage your clientele. And especially when it comes to men, finding unique ways to engage men in the conversation because to your point the shame and blame thing just doesn't work at all and you know we often talk about or hear people talk about the fact that you know well men don't want to talk about their feelings you know i think that's bullshit. i think if we create the environment if we create the space for men to have those conversations you won't be able to shut them up i know you know i that's a lot of the work i do I create those spaces or I, I endeavor to create those spaces. And when you get guys going, uh, especially if it's in a group environment, you know, one guy goes, then you, you the dominoes start to fall. And I've been doing this um, in a corporate environment for, for a while now. And it's just the results have been unbelievable. You know, guys just sharing some of their struggles, their anxieties. Um, and then, like I said, when one guy goes, the rest just topple. And it's so important to create that space, a judgment-free space. Mike, yours is uh, your background. I, I briefly mentioned it at, at the outset of this episode today. And, and, and I don't mean to sort of like bring it up every time we talk, but I, I never want to take for granted. I think that sometimes these folks, some of our audience might be hearing from you for the first time and they may be unfamiliar with with how how the universe brought you to the point where yeah, you are today why, why am i here why, why are we having this conversation why are you're you right, here you're right. i mean your story eight is ago, eight years ago i would not have been having this conversation in 2015 my girlfriend was murdered by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life and you know as a business leader i was a guy that you know liked to get things done and and so i had lots of folks that wanted me to go after the justice system talk about 
you know, how the system let her down. You know, she'd done all the right things, had the restraining order. But I just thought, you know, how do we build a better restraining order is probably the wrong question. And maybe the better question is, how do we prevent men from getting to that point in the first place? And when I looked at all the work I've done in sales and leadership, the impact that emotion has on human behavior, um, you know, I studied that for 25 years. So I looked at how I could bring that to this lens and and men's mental health and and specifically violence prevention. I do a lot of work in in that arena and and men as allies as well. Hmm. Tom, through the course of your career, I mean, you you you've uh, I mean, you've done a ton. I almost feel like it would it would take the entire roundtable to sort of run through your CV or all of the things that you've been involved with. But but you've 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 you're a well known uh, philanthropist. You've you created your annual series, for example, of, of Christmas concerts, right? That the Huron Carol that, that people are familiar with. Um, you've done a lot of work right now, as mentioned. Um, you know, you're you're uh, singing for supper that cross Canada tour that played smaller community venues, raising support. Uh, for food. That was about 15, 17 years ago. You're going to be in our hometown of Edmonton uh, on November 24th. You're going to be performing at the Doubletree by Hilton in support of, of Edmonton's food bank. In the context of, of, of men's health, of, of mental health, uh, of your own personal health and well-being, what has fueled your conviction or, or what has what has directed your involvement or the initiatives that you've supported or even kick-started regarding the health of your uh, fellow indigenous people in Canada, your fellow Canadians, et cetera. I think when we, um, when we help others, we are amply re- rewarded. Um, you've heard people say the gift is in the giving. It really is. Um, so we have to be brave and gain people's trust, but, the most effective way to gain people's trust and maybe get them engaged in thinking about themselves is to let them know that you love them. If if you're working in your office and you love the people that you work with, how do they know? Do you tell them? If they love you, how do you know? Do you tell them? And if, if we're going to gain the kind of confidence that we need for people to talk about themselves and please excuse me (laughs) but if we're going to do that we have to have their trust and once you do my belief is that once you do um, you're free to ask the question are you happy where you are would you like to be somewhere else would you like to be doing somewhere else? And if they say yes, and you say, well, do you want to make a plan? Okay, let's make a plan. Let's take a step. That was the first step. Never mind. What's the second step? We have to figure out what the second step is. And we have to motivate people, help them, help themselves to become healthy. A social prescription, if you will. Right? Show them that they can dance till they sweat. You know, and find that place that extricates the toxic trickster inside of us and, and makes us understand that we we can forgive. We don't have to forget. Mm. Realize that at the end of the day, we need to figure out how to laugh again. We need to help children be children again. We need to tell them by our actions that there is kindness in the world. You don't have to teach a child kindness you only have to be kind Hmm. they'll see that 
and your family will see it, and they'll like it, and your community will see it, and they'll like it, and maybe the nation will see it, and maybe they'll like it too. Mm. But the world is easier to change than you think it is. But you have to be committed to change the world. Do you want to change the world? Okay, let me ask you this question. Do you? Would you like to see a better world? Say aye. Aye. Mm. Aye. Would you like to see a better world? Say love. 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 I rest my case. Huh. Though your case is rested, may I follow up? Before I go to uh, Dr. Babins Wagner, because I, I, I'm curious for the, the, the counselor's uh, take on this, and, and Mike, I know you can as well. We're, we're, we're going to hit. Uh, I want to let our audience know. I want to uh, talk about death by suicide. Um, and I know that that's a, a very difficult conversation for some people uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, men uh, disproportionately die by suicide in Canada and around the world. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, Dr. Babins Wagner's uh, take on that as, as a professional in that field of counseling and mental health. But uh, Tom, you lost a, a North of 60 cast member back in, in 1996 when Mervyn Goodeagle died by suicide. And, and as I understand it, that prompted you uh, to start the Dreamcatcher tour. Uh, can you talk to us about the impact that that had on, on your life and, and, and maybe how, it, despite the tragic circumstance, how it bettered your understanding of, of the importance of, of supporting men's mental health initiatives? We, have a, we had a community with North of 60 or any of the other productions that I might be involved in. And we're a community. So when Mervyn was lost, we all felt it. And somebody asked me, what would, what do we do here? And I, so I decided I would go and search it out a little bit. And I talked to Dean Voss at, at ARC. And after our conversation, I realized, well, you know, there was, how do you help people cope once an incident happens? And I went, wait a minute. How about if the incident, incident didn't happen? What, what if, what if we could do something about that? And over the course of time, I worked with the Canadian Association of Suicide Prevention. And the reality that came out of all of that was that it wasn't suicide. It was stress. We're trying to find a way to intervene. If we can intervene on helping people with their stress, the byproduct of that will be intervention. And the reward of all of that, you can't actually gauge unless you go back to the community and talk to the community and say, how are you doing? Mm. And maybe they're going to say, we're doing just fine, thanks. But you find that in those communities, in the small communities, the heroes are all the same. They're always the same. They're the people that do the you know, the big shows or, or coach the basketball. It's a small group of people, but they're all the doers. Those are the guys that are, are the doers and often outside of politics. But go back to the point, okay, if we can manage stress, we can manage these issues in and around suicide. I was talking to a group of students and the most profound answer, I asked, asked the question, what kind of things stress you out? And there was one girl, she was closer to God than the rest of us. She was a special person. She didn't talk the same as everybody else. But she said from the back of the room, she said, making popcorn stresses me out. It was so true and so profound. I got it. Everybody got it. 
And that young girl was closer to the creator than anybody else in that room. Why? Because she was just a little bit off, right? But became seriously revered and always revered uh, after that. And um, that's a very powerful thing. Hmm. Dr. Babbins Wagner, do, what do we know about like the differences between men's mental health and women's mental health? Like, do 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 men and women deal with problems differently on mass? Like, do you see those trends? They do, and women tend to talk to their. They start usually by talking to their friends, and get seek advice from their friends, and then it's only then when the the solutions provided by friends don't work for them, that they seek help. It's very interesting to watch a family violence group at the beginning of the group. Women walk in and tell you exactly what happened, why they hurt their partner, what the um, precipitating factor was. Uh, and when you go into a men's group, um, men don't want to talk about it. So we've stopped asking people, like we don't start our groups like we did in the old days before that research by asking men to stand up and talk about what they did. Hello, my name is Mike. You know, I bashed my wife and she ended up in hospital. We ask them to talk about themselves and we make it clear that we're not going to ask them to talk about the abuse or the violence that brought them here until they are ready and they will all be ready at different times. But we want to understand them and learn about them because if you ask them directly, most of them are not going to share it. It's going to, they're scared to death walking into our offices. They don't know what's going to happen to them. They're really afraid their partner's going to leave and they don't want that, most of them. So it's very, very challenging. Um, I also want to speak for a second about uh, follow up on what Tom said, because I think I have a story that will also illustrate some of this. It's my experience around the suicide piece. It is easier for men, I think, because they're more impulsive than women. And the two factors that tend to result in a suicide is somebody feeling a lot of despair. They are feeling a burden on others. And it's then usually an impulsive event. Um, they may not, some people plan it, not everybody does. It's something that's happened that's kind of triggered them to go forward and act at that time. We had a, we had a young man walk in uh, quite a while ago now, and he was probably 17. We didn't get a lot of information from him. And the receptionist said, we had a very small reception area at that time. And the receptionist said to him, do you want to do you have an appointment today? And he said, no. And she said, do you want to talk to um, somebody and he said not yet hmm. and she said can I get you some water or some coffee and he said no and this was about nine o'clock in the morning and she comes into my office about a half an hour later saying I don't know what to do with this guy he's not talking he doesn't say he wants anything and I said do you have any concerns about safety about anything else and she said no I said so why don't you just ask him every half hour hour or so if he'd like water if he'd like coffee and she did that. And about two o'clock in the afternoon, he got up and said to her, I think I want to talk to somebody now. Wow. And he then told her about this very detailed strategy that he had um, to die by suicide. And we were able, he agreed to come with us to the hospital. We escorted him to the hospital into, into eMERGE till he was transferred over to some medical folks. We then left. And we didn't hear anything. We didn't know what happened. 
And about two weeks later, we got this spectacularly gorgeous bouquet of roses with a thank you note to all who helped. And this was from his parents because it was that getting him to hospital, getting the parents involved, that he was able to have a conversation and get the treatment we needed. And there was something in us, something in me at that point that said, we can't just say if you have an, don't have an appointment, you have to leave. There was something, I think, about the vulnerability of this fellow that we just said, as long as we weren't worried about something happening to us, just let him sit there. And I'm pretty convinced that he was watching how the counselors greeted their clients, what they did, the way clients looked when they left to got, to get his own sense of whether he was going to be uh, cared for properly. And that's this is probably one of the highlights of my career was that experience. Even though we had no direct involvement in his treatment, we probably had involvement in keeping him alive to the point where we could get him hospitalized. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Uh, Kimberly's watching live right now on YouTube. In our chat, Kimberly says, I could see my son struggling, but he wouldn't talk to me. And when I would try to get him to, uh, he would accuse me of being judgmental. And I had to learn a different way to communicate so he could trust me. Mike, when you, when you, you know, present your, your men's mental health conferences, these love letters to men, and when you work on executive coaching, when you're talking to men about some circumstances that, that I would imagine involve some, like the doctor just talked about, whether, whether it's a barrier or a hurdle or a perceived wall standing in the way of, of progress or addressing an issue, whatever the case may be, how do you earn that trust? How do you, like what Kimberly did, had to learn a different way to communicate to earn that trust? Yeah. And, and I think just creating that space, you know, Tom talked about it and you talked about it. Trust is that number one factor. Robbie's team created that in her environment for that individual. And it ultimately led to them feeling comfortable and safe enough to, to take that help. So I think it's really just about creating that safe environment. And, you know, in a, in a leadership context, one of the things that I learned probably later in my leadership career than I would have liked is to be able to ask that question. And this isn't necessarily directly mental health related, but when I had staff or team members come to me with problems, being able to ask that question, do you want strategy or do you want empathy? And letting them decide, because nine times out of 10, People just want to be seen, heard, and understood, and, and that's all they need. So when we can create that environment, and you know, that's really what we've tried to do with this Love Letter to Men conference. You know, we have presentations and things, but just create that environment, A, where you can see that, hey, holy crap, man, I'm not alone. Yeah, There's other dudes out there that are feeling like this, and maybe this is okay, maybe it is all right for me to take some steps, take some action and get some help. Uh, and again, from an executive coaching standpoint, I mean, that's largely what I do with leaders is I just create the space for them to open up in a judgment-free environment. And, you know, if you're listening out there and you're looking at how do, how do I do that? You know, one of the keys I think is, is to drop that judgment and embrace curiosity. So when you, Feel for me, I use that as a trigger. When I feel myself getting a little bit judgmental, like, oh, why would you do that? Just flipping that around to curiosity. Oh, interesting. 
what comes up for you with that? Why does that come up? So again, flipping from judgment to curiosity really helps create that space. Yeah, can I add a piece to what Mike is saying? Please. Because I think speaking to the parent who commented a few minutes ago um, is one of the things that I learned uh, from a mentor was that in working with boys and men, uh, they're not going to sit like a woman will across from me and talk. So in my case, I have two boys, I have two sons, they're adults now. I used to, so he taught me that you actually need to do something physical with them. Yes. And we got a basketball hoop for our um, driveway. And every time I wanted to do something with them, I actually took them outside and we shot hoops or we went for a walk or we took our bikes and did something. When I was doing something with them, they would tell me everything. And I often didn't have to ask much and they would talk about what was happening. But if I just sat down with them and said, you know, I'm worried about you, forget it. And I think some men are like that as well. If you go for a walk with your partner, you're much more likely to have a meaningful conversation where he might share some inf some information, some feelings, some thoughts, than just sitting down in, at your kitchen table and trying to have this conversation. Oh, that's a, a, a beautiful point. We have point. to understand what our assets are too. Mm. I think we, we need to know where the go-to is. Like, where is my caregiver if i need to talk to somebody who are they where are they it's like we have to link up the the asset to to the individual and if we do that um a lot of a lot of our the, the cloudiness will go away when i mentioned stress it's one thing to say talk about stress but okay what stresses you out what how can you tell that somebody else is stressed out what do you do when you're stressed out? And what do you do for somebody else when you can tell that they're stressed out? Yeah. And you need to share that in a room. If you share it in a room with with people who are silent, you can break the silence by telling them you love them. Mm -hmm. You can break that silence and it'll change the dialogue right away. Yeah. But they have to know that there's somebody in the room that is a safe place to go before you ask them the questions. And you can list the question. If you have forty people in a room. I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest a light lifeboat should go past forty, but <laughs> it might sink. But if you got forty people in a room, you can get forty answers. If you got one person in the room, you might get five or six. But if you got forty, and it's a and, and it's a a thought. It's an I knew it thought because you hear it. You go, oh yeah, yeah yeah. I knew that. I knew it. So I, I, I knew it. Think tank, right? Mm. And at the end of the day, if you if there's somebody to make a ledger of all of that information, those are assets. And now you have access to those assets. You can. If I'm not feeling well, I go back to my notes and go, somebody, oh yeah, George or Sally or this is what they did, and maybe that'll work for me, or I feels like it's going to work for me. But it's a good start, mm. you know. But they have to know it's there, and we have to be able to link them up. I, uh, as, as part of our uh, Real Talk Roundtable, and we respect your time so much, I'll let our audience know we've taken the three of you a little bit beyond the, the period of time that we asked for, and I know we've got to respect your schedule. So, so I, want, I, I, I feel compelled to wrap this, but I feel like we could talk all day. Uh, but, but I just want to, we, we, we like to provide an opportunity to make sure we don't leave anything on the table. And, uh, and Tom, don't worry, I'm going to mention your event coming up as, as, as we sign off here, but I wanted to, to ask the three of you to give us something to walk with, to give us something to think about, to give us something either as men or 
or people who know men or have men in their lives or whatever the case may be in the context of International Men's Day happening tomorrow, uh, something to, to ruminate on, something to, to carry this conversation forward. Mike, maybe we'll go with you first. Yeah, again, I think just practice creating that space and practice is the key word. Don't try, practice. You know, when we try something, it's this pass-fail mentality. We tried that, didn't work but practice it and you'll find a way. And Robbie, I love, love, love your tip. As a, as a father of a young man, um, our best conversations were throwing a football around in the backyard and use silence. It's not always about asking questions, grilling, grilling, grilling. Just sit the, you know, to your point, Robbie, in, with, with that fella in your, in your lobby, it was the silence and maybe it takes hours of silence, but eventually when they're ready, they'll come around. And make sure you check out Love Letter to Men. We're doing, we're, we're planning 2023 already. Okay, well, people can check out MikeCameron.ca uh, to connect with you, Mike. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Martin. He's a he's a, a physician. He, he works in the ER as well in beautiful Hinton, Alberta, at the, the doorstep to the Canadian Rocky Mountains in Jasper National Park. We love when Dr. Martin has a chance to tune in. He says, with the young men that I see in the ER or in clinic, he says the start of that encounter is a lot of silence. Uh, which aligns, uh, Robbie, with what you had to say. Um, uh, Tom, uh, what's something you'd like us to walk with through the weekend and beyond in the context of this conversation? I want to go to social prescription. You know, when when Banting and Best discovered penicillin, we thought everything could be cured with a pill. Well, there are opportunities for us to give social prescription to others. And to tell them that they can leap, they can learn, they can laugh, and they can love. And if I could give you one last thought, it's like, okay, try this. You gotta trust me for a minute. Try this, close your eyes. Now think of three things that tickle your soul. Okay, open your eyes. I defy you to tell me you don't feel better than you did 10 seconds ago. Hmm. That's a social prescription. And now go and do something for somebody. Pick up the phone and tell somebody that you love them and ask them to tell somebody they love. That's a social prescription. And I guarantee you, guarantee you, it works every time. Plus, if you're in Canada and Tom Jackson tells you to do something, you better do it. Doctor, the guy's not just an officer of the Order of Canada. Yesterday, he was named a companion of the Order of Canada. You better do what he prescribes. Uh, Dr. Babins Wagner, uh, last word to you. I think for men, especially adult men, don't feel that you have to have the solutions to everything. And I know that I sometimes have to tell my partner, I don't need a solution to the problem. I just need you to listen. And I think men feel that burden and have very long, broad, heavy shoulders, and we need to find a way to lessen them. And we need to find a way to help them take themselves off the hook for having to solve every problem out there. 
You can learn more about uh, what Dr. Uh, Robbie Babbins-Wagner and her team does at the Calgary Counseling Center by visiting calgarycounseling.com. Uh, I wanted to remind you, Johnny's been putting it up on the screen several times, but if you're listening to the podcast, uh, there are mental health supports available in Canada free of charge 24 hours a day by calling 1-866-585-0445 or even easier, you can text wellness to 741 741. Our roundtable today has been Mike Cameron, author of Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. Uh, Dr. Robbie Babbins-Wagner, uh, uh, CEO of the Calgary Counseling Center. And of course, the legendary Tom Jackson, who will be appearing in our home city of Edmonton. Get this, Real Talkers. Through Tom's career, it's estimated his philanthropic efforts have raised an estimated $250 million dollars in cash and in kind for food banks and disaster relief since the 1980s it is one of the reasons why he was honored at the juno awards a number of years ago with their uh, philanthropic award and of course it's a big reason uh, why he was named yesterday a companion of the order of canada that is next level he'll be performing uh in edmonton on november 24th that stories songs and santa causes tour will wrap in saint john's on december 16th in support of food banks and other worthy initiatives you can learn more and get your tickets at tomjackson.ca i've got a world of respect for the three of you thank you for joining us on this real talk roundtable thanks ryan thank you and thank you to the real talkers that show up for these conversations. These land with us and they stick with us and they resonate with us. What can we do now? In addition to those assignments from our three panelists, you can make sure that people in your life that you know would benefit from hearing this conversation, hear it. You can share it on your social channels. You can tell people where you're hearing these conversations, including the Real Talk Roundtable every Friday presented by our friends at Urban Timber. Uh, coming up in just a moment, a bit of a change of pace. To say the least, we're going to get into our weekly tradition trash talk. Uh, these conversations, uh, oftentimes, we'll receive comments on them on our social media channels. Uh, people using the hashtag RealTalkRJ. That's powered by the team at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. You can compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet today. Takes two minutes by visiting parkpower.ca. It's the time of year where we're going to spend more on natural gas and electricity. That's virtually guaranteed. Uh, the days are shorter. The lights are going to be on longer. You're going to be firing up that furnace. Maybe space heaters are working out. Make sure you do that safely. Uh, you're going to want to make sure that you're taking a look at the fixed rates, the variable rates, and what makes most sense for you. The user-friendliness of their website is next to none. Parkpower.ca, the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill. How great is that? Hey, dog lovers and cat lovers, have you yet checked out granddog.ca? Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials, this is a wonderful family-owned business, are delivering quality raw food to your door if you live in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta. They've got some wonderful deals on right now, including that doggy moggy chicken blend on sale for the month of November. you got two weeks left. They've knocked 20 bucks off. It's 20% off, no discount code required. Plus, they've got a new product blend, the doggy moggy beef chicken. Uh, the best thing about this, feeding a variety of proteins is ideal when you're feeding your pets. More protein options provide an array of nutrients. That's how you create balance on a raw food diet. Uh, raw dog and cat food available today and moving forward. Make it a tradition like our family has. We've seen the health 
payback. I mean, our dogs look healthier than ever before now that they're eating Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. And if you're thinking that now is the time to upgrade your ride, maybe get into a four-wheel drive before we get hit with another three or four months of snow and ice on area highways, why not trust the Jeep brand that's been trusted since the 1940s? North America's best-selling SUV in history, the Jeep Grand Cherokee. You can find it and that beautiful luxury class Jeep Wagoneer at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You can shop their selection from the convenience of your own home online or of course you can go in and see them in person and don't forget the relationship continues at sherwood and st albert dodge with their service and parts departments long after that sale is complete you can find all of our sponsors on our website under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com Every Friday, our friends at Local Environmental Services, you can check them out at localenvironmental.ca, give us a chance to blow off a little bit of steam, to say what we mean and to have thousands of people hear it. It's a tradition we call Trash Talk! All right, now I got to be careful about this one because there's a bit of a spoiler alert for those of you that are big fans of the show Yellowstone. Jerry's got to be in his bonnet, but I promise to not destroy the plot lines. Johnny, you know there's a new season of Yellowstone out, and well, Jerry's, as he says, pissed off. Why? He says, well, I've been a fan of this show, even with its outrageous plot lines, but in season five, the very first episode, the one that just came out, he says, well, it's really got my goat. Like halfway through, real American military cowboy hero Casey Dutton and his posse chases a bunch of horse thieves towards a river that serves as the border to Canada. Well, how exciting, he says. The cowboys ain't going to let the rustlers get away. Across the river on the Canadian bank, a group of mounted RCMP officers calmly survey the raucous scene. The horses cross the river. The thieves are trying to make it into Canada, all all while proclaiming how easy Canadian jail is. You want to go to prison in the U.S.? No way. He says, now somehow, Casey and his gang Casey and the Sunshine Band? No, better not. He says they apprehend the thieves and corral them on American soil, proclaiming how they almost got to enjoy the weak Canadian justice system. He says there's a brief back and forth between the Mounties, wherein Cowboy Casey reiterates how hard American prison is, and the thieves shake in fear. The RCMP officer quips something, alluding to Canadians being more civilized than their counterparts in Montana, to which the Casey implies in derogatory language that all Canadians are sheep. Sheep. Now that's bad news for Jerry, who says, Now this term has become so politically loaded, it seems incredibly obvious that the show's writer, Taylor Sheridan, has some pretty strong feelings about Canada. The entire scene itself was not required for plot development. In fact, it seemed to exist for the sole purpose of calling Canadians sheep. And in the wake of COVID and the auto occupation and mask mandates and everything with it, it seemed politically charged, disrespectful, and quite frankly, an asshole move. So Taylor Sheridan, choke on a toque full of poutine, eat a bag of beaver shit, and leave our fantastic country out of your fucking cowboy fantasies. I'm not watching another minute of your show. And then Jerry signs off, peace and love. And this one, <laughs> right? What was that? Eat a mouthful of beaver shit? And then this from Michelle with one L. Michelle with one L says, all this talk about Twitter, 
on and off Twitter. Now, disclosure, I've never been on Twitter. I've never had an account. And I fairly rarely even checked out the site. Maybe a few election nights and, and January 6th. She says, I get why people are so into it, but I've never understood why people are so into it. Michelle with one L says, in fact, it's driven me crazy watching close friends of mine so obsessed with this social media site. I don't invoke the word addiction without due thought and consideration. I guarantee you a few of my girlfriends and whether he'd admit it or not, my younger brother, they're addicted to Twitter. They check their phones every what feels like five minutes. They seem to care more what people they don't even know think than people they've known for 30 years. Their personal highs and lows are based on what happens on a social media site, not in real life. They've been celebrated, then stabbed in the back on Twitter. They've been informed, then duped on Twitter. They've fallen in love with, then out of love with, then back in love with Twitter. For them, it's all about Twitter. I want my book club buddies back. I want my dog walking companions back. I want my backcountry camping companions back. I want my small talk dance partners back. I can't be the only one who's ready to see Twitter burn to the ground. Somebody get me a match. That from Michelle with one L. Nice stall in the plant behind me there, hey pal? Trash Talk, our real emails submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com presented every Friday right here on the show by our friends at Local Environmental Services. Keep it local at localenvironmental.ca. Real Talk's taking next week off to take care of some family business and we'll be back at it the Monday after. We'll keep you all posted on our social media channels. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Real Talk Sunday message by scrolling to the bottom of the page at ryanjesperson.com. Make it a great weekend, friends, and we'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.